0: So the whole reason that we wanted to do this uh, theme for the semester was because Troy Dover said so we should. And, and uh, usually I'll ignore him for a couple of semesters, and then eventually he gets his way. I'm just kidding. But the reason that we wanted to do uh, Jesus' messages to the church in Asia in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, um, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, we, we wanted to pin our ears to heaven, and we needed to hear from Jesus himself, what were the weaknesses of the church today? And what are the strengths of the church today? And many of you uh, could have already identified a lot of those. But to hear from Jesus' voice, and maybe all these church issues and what they were strong at, what they were weak at, maybe you're like, why do I even need to know this information? Right? Why do you keep talking to me about church stuff and getting involved in church? I'm not really that big of a deal in my church. And I think the reason we're doing this is because you will be sooner than you think if you will stay in the local church. You will be difference makers in the local church. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to keep saying that until somebody believes it. (laughs) And that's just what I believe. And I know I'm biased, but we're counting on you to stand on the shoulders of all those who have come before you, all these people in the back. I mean, think about this. The reason that they're doing what they're doing in the local church is not because, uh, you know, they want to be famous. They're doing what they're doing because they hope that your generation will stand on their shoulders and reach even greater heights than they've been able to. Amen in the Amen. back? Amen. Amen. Right. Amen. Yeah. So. Um, We are counting on you to stand on our shoulders. Uh, We are counting on you to listen to the Holy Spirit and not to culture. We are counting on you to lead our churches into healthier spaces. Are you ready? No, I'm not even ready for finals. Uh, So Alex is going to share her story.
1: Alright, so I have two parts to my story, but first off, I would really like to thank everyone for being here tonight and coming to all the nights of worship, and shout out to all the churches that have been here to feed us some amazing food. We wouldn't be here without you guys, so. <laughs> um, but just want to thank you all for being here and just really praising the Lord every single month and through Life Group. We wouldn't be possible without you guys, and although I may not know everyone in the room, I really appreciate you guys all being here and just you a lot of lights on campus, so really appreciate you all for that. Um, God has blessed you each with a great gift, and you should be able, to, be able to fully explore that through him, and we're just grateful to have you here. Um, so the theme of tonight's message is to let us hear that churches who open the door will never want for more, but also in an individual setting, that Jesus longs for us to open the door for our hearts. So tonight, Sarah, Andrew, and I will be sharing our stories to explain how Jesus opened the doors in our eyes, souls, and hearts to him. I would like to begin my journey with this. Gum is a great doorstop. <laughs>
2: now
1: before I go any further, I'll give a little background of what this means to me. If any of you know me really well, I enjoy chewing gum. Not casually though. It was kind of more of like an addiction. <laughs> and so you know those three packs of trident gums that have 14 pieces each, or like the big like ice cube packs that have 40 of those like ice cubes? Yeah, I could finish that in maybe an hour or two. <laughs> That's being a little generous with that. So again, like I said, it was a little bit of an addiction. Um, and I used to try to hide this and go run to the store and buy this whenever I could, um, and go to the school store and buy it just casually as I was on my way to class. Just secretly, I spent more money than I would like to know on gum. Um, I also would secretly swap it out during class, in meetings, before and after practice. Like it was just something that was always on my mind. I used it as a coping and control mechanism, which was already intertwined with my twisted eating habits, which is a whole nother story. Um, but the fact is that I was addicted, and I hid it in the dark behind closed doors. And God kept knocking on my door, and kept telling me that I needed to stop using gum as a doorstop to him. So I utilized Lent as my opportunity to open the door, even if it was scary and uncomfortable. The first few weeks were incredibly difficult. Uh, to go cold turkey on something was not really easy, and there would be times where I would call my boyfriend, who lives in Colorado, and I'd be like, please tell me a story, please tell me something, so I cannot think about gum anymore. That's how bad it was. Um, the biggest motivating factor for me, though, was the fact that I did not need a material good or anything physical to define me. Only the Lord would be able to do that for me. And he can bring me far greater redemption than I could ever do myself and anything humanly possible or anything that God could possibly do. Um, and he has open arms and unconditional grace when it comes to that. So Luke 17.33 comes to mind. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. I clung to God and it was deteriorating to me. I've given this addiction up to him, and I can tell you that I have been, I went all the way through Lent, and I'm... Basically clean since then, so I have not had. <laughs> that's <crazy> that sounds, <laughs> um, I've not had addictive gum chewing habits since then. So it's obviously a great opportunity to be free from that. Um, so I tell you this: that humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With Mark ten twenty seven, I pray over all of you today that anything you, that you felt trapped behind closed doors, give it up to the Lord, for He will bring you far greater than you ever thought was humanly possible. So that's the more lighthearted hearted side of things. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. But uh, the next chapter deals with a little different sort of issue, which is self-worth. We all struggle with it, and the transition into college was not easy, just as many others can probably attest to. On top of being three hours away from home, from the closest family and friends that I had, being a full-time Division I student-athlete, dating a wonderful Christian boy a thousand miles away, I struggled with who I was. The part I'd like to point out is being a student-athlete. If you know any student athlete in college, it is not sunshine and rainbows. If you do know one and you've met one, then I don't know if they really are true competitors because the best athletes in the world are the ones who went through the most challenging and most adverse parts of their life to be absolutely incredible as they are today. My life as an athlete, I was surrounded by incredible, God-trusting people like you all. I found community with impact. I was finally able to share his light with some of my teammates who come regularly who couldn't attend tonight because we had another JAG Awards event, so. (laughs) But I was finally able to share his light, and my road to happiness and where I am today was not an easy one. Before I share, I'm also not trying to say that my experience is how it is for everyone, but mine is specific to me and some can relate to that. There came a point to where both Andrew and Sarah can vividly remember a dark space that I was in. I felt trapped. I was anxious about my day from the moment I woke up until the day I ended in bed. I cried myself to sleep some nights, wondering what was wrong with me, why was I here, why did I feel like I was absolutely worthless. The darkness was consuming me, and I was fighting so hard to release it, but this one hung around because this was not something entirely in my control.
2: I was fearful, I was searching for the light
1: that could only be found in the promise I told myself when I started this journey back when I was a freshman. Finish strong and do not quit. You're probably wondering, what is this something I couldn't seem to shake? My darkness was not something that I was hiding or an addiction like um, that I was using for control. My darkness was unfortunately a person who I saw every day and was verbally and emotionally abused by. I'm not here to bring shame to my head coach, but I'm here to share the reality of how destructive, control-hungry people with power-driven words really are. When I finally opened the door to God, my sophomore year, I was determined to be a new woman in basketball. I had God on my side, so anything was absolutely possible. Yet there I was, junior year, desperately searching for answers, crying alone in my room, just feeling so dark again. The community of people I surrounded myself with and my boyfriend, my mother, my father, Sarah, Andrew, Impact, my teammates, helped me. But I still questioned how such a Christian man, whose job was meant to develop and grow young women, was defining my bigger purpose and who I was. I was questioning why God put me here. Why was this man dictating who I said I was or who I thought I was? I prayed for you to open the door and let his heart be softened in your love and nothing has changed. Why God, why? We were going through the book of James at this time and James 1, uh, 2 through 4 is something I vividly remembered. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, eating nothing. My faith was being tested. God was pounding on the door I did not realize was closed. He repeated a knock on it every day for four years. Every day. That is persistence far greater than I have witnessed in, honestly, any athlete or person. What I did not realize is he was building my endurance, growing me, molding me into this new normal of his love and grace. I was going through some of the darkest moments, feeling like I could barely sleep, barely eat, and barely breathe. But my faith in God moved these treacherous mountains, even when I felt like I couldn't even lift my head up each day. My senior year was the least anxious, least depressed I have been in years being an athlete. That is not to say that my worries or doubt or self-worth are gone, but they were subdued and slowly pulled away by God's knocking. I slowly opened the door to him as the years went on, trusting him to lead me to greater things. Trusting him to lift my head when I fell down. Trusting him to push me further because he knows what I can handle and what makes me stronger. Trusting in him to build a healthy community on my team. Trusting in him to build my relationships with people who cared for me most. Trusting in him to say who I really was. A daughter of God. My devotional said the other day that although our lives are not in our complete control, that does not mean that our lives are out of control. My verse I have lived my life by in college is Matthew 17:20. Faith can move mountains. And boy, has God moved some massive mountains in my life. Uh, he has helped me climb them mentally, spiritually, emotionally, metaphorically, and any of you know me quite literally as well. I sit here tonight telling you that if you're struggling with something, God is there knocking, wanting, begging, pleading to come into your house. He wants to help cleanse you, not because you aren't strong enough, or not that you aren't capable or worthy enough, but he knows what good you can do, and it just needs to be used alongside of his goodness and grace. When that door is open, something happens. Pain of the past is gone, hurtful words cease to inflict agony, demeaning, demoralizing people become cowards in the light of God. I'm not saying my life is sunshine and rainbows now, not even close, but without God and the people that he's put in my life, Mitchell, my boyfriend, My parents, my extended family, my sister who's playing at USI right now, um, my sister blood and my sisters on the court, Sarah, Andrew and their families, all of my impact friends who I've met here over my four years. I would have never been transformed and even more ready for what the darkness tries to creep back into my life. Whether in addiction or with a horrible boss. So let us be hot or cold in God's love today. Because lukewarm is not a place for God's light to shine through these doors.
0: Thank you. I think uh, usually, not to go completely off topic, but you know, we we think, you know, we're here, and where we want to be is over here. There is no way I can get there. Sometimes it's something like gum, you know. Sometimes it's like something like just so small that God wants to start in your life. Thank you so much, Alex, for being vulnerable with us tonight. Um, so, how can we, we open the door to Jesus? Uh, Sarah, how about you go ahead and open up our passage? Revelation chapter 3. If you've got a Bible or a phone or
2: letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is a message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I wanted, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see.
0: All right, so this church in Laodicea, a few things, there's three main things you need to know about this city in the first century. They were one of the wealthiest cities in the world. They were so wealthy uh, that when the city was destroyed by a giant earthquake, earthquakes were predominant at that time in the first century. The whole city was completely destroyed. Most cities had to take out like a loan from the Roman government to rebuild their city. Leah did and did not. They rebuilt the entire city with their own capital that they had within the city because everyone was so wealthy. Number two, they were a giant manufacturer of clothing. Um, They specialized in this black, glossy wool. And that was their main thing, their main product. This is sounding like a business class. Number three, the city was also known as a famous medical school. Uh, They were known for two products that they really pushed. And they developed this whole system of a medical school based on an ear ointment and an eye ointment. I don't even know if they, I wasn't at the... The testing trials or whatever, but uh, I don't know. But both of these things made them really, really popular uh, as far as medical school. And Jesus says this about them, the successful city. He says, you're neither cold nor hot, and I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. If Jesus says that to you, you're in some serious trouble <laughs> And the one thing about this, I've always been taught as a kid, is like, hey, you want to be on fire for God, you know? Be on fire for God. Don't don't be cold. Don't be. Oh, it's even worse if you look warm. Just be hot. Well, that's just totally not the context of the passage. Nothing against my primitive Bible teachers in Oklahoma, but uh, basically, uh, to the north we had Hierapolis, which was like this place uh, with these famous hot springs. And people would go there for medicinal purposes. You know, who doesn't want to soak in a hot tub? And uh, so they were known for their their hot water. Uh, To the south, in Colossae, that place, to the southeast, was known. They had, like, uh, this alpine-quality water that ran down off of a mountain. And it was, like, so refreshing and cold, like he's going to mow on the lawn and drink a big glass of it. And then all the water ran down into this valley, because Laodicea was in a valley. And by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was disgusting. Because the mineral-laden water in the north was great when it was hot and boiling. When it got down all the way to the valley, it was nasty. You couldn't even drink it. The The only reason you could drink that water is if you wanted to vomit, literally. They would do it like, you need to vomit? Drink that water. And so when Jesus says, you are lukewarm, I'm about to vomit you out of, oh, I know how that is. He's speaking directly to their water issue, and he says, this is where you're at spiritually, and I'm sick of it. And then he says, this is what you say. You say, I am rich, I need nothing. I'm reading a book by David Platt. I don't know why I ever do that. I always feel awful about myself. But if you don't know who that is, don't worry about it. But Jesus proceeds to blast the Laodicean church with five descriptions of their, their situation. And I memorized them for my group. They were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In Oklahoma you call it naked. Okay? They were wretched. The, the Greek literally means pathetic. Can you imagine Jesus? Stop laughing. He's laughing. Can you imagine Jesus coming up to your your church, grabbing a microphone up front, and saying, This church is pathetic! Can you imagine Jesus saying that? That would be unbelievably embarrassing. Uh, He calls them pitiable. Uh, The word here is deserving of pity based on someone's miserable condition. Three, he called them poor. They weren't poor. Jesus, have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my Mercedes? I am not poor. No, you're poor. You Imagine this conversation with Jesus and someone who's wealthy. No, actually, you're poor. Dirt poor. He saw past their incredibly worldly wealth. He called them blind. He was unimpressed with their eye ointment. He knew it was a fraud, right? Let me give you some real stuff for your eyes. that will help you truly see called them naked. He saw a pastor cutting edge, black wool, glossy (coughs) clothing, and he said, come to me. And uh, it reminds me of Luke 15, 7, and it says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons, and check this out, who need no repentance. I could not figure that verse out for the longest time, but man, it makes so much sense in the light of this passage. Do you need repentance? compared to who? No. Do you need repentance? Amen. The answer is amen, yes, every day. Uh, unless you're perfect. I, I don't know. Um, but he says this to them. He says, I counsel you to, to buy uh, these three things for me. That's what Jesus says. So if Jesus says buy something for me, buy it. <laughs> Take stock in that company and, and get as much as you can. The first thing, buy gold refined by fire I think that really, that really means Matthew 6, 19 and 20. says, to store up treasures in heaven. You know, um, that's why you're here tonight. This does not reflect on your grades. Actually, maybe God can supernaturally give you a little bit of ability to, to do a little bit better than you thought you could. That could happen. Happened for me a lot. That's how <laughs> I got through college. <clears throat> Number two, God, uh, Jesus says, buy for me white garments. Um, Jesus' blood always leaves a trail of white. There's this crazy scene in Revelation 19, 11 through 14. This is a weird scene, like, like these people are coming out of the tribulation, and they have white robes, and there's like this side commentary going on. Who are these? They have come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus is leading this group. What a cool, cool image. Again, not the black garments popularly to see it. Three, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus said it also in John 9 41. We need to allow him uh, to help us to truly see. And um, check this out. These are all free. Everybody likes free things. And um, the gospel is about to be a free, but what did it cost? Jesus' is life for us so that we can stockpile this stuff and um, it doesn't end up on a spreadsheet it ends up in heaven uh, so let's continue
1: Revelation 3.19 I correct and discipline everyone I love so be diligent and turn from your indifference
0: so good
1: so this is an exact quote from Proverbs 3.11-12
0: Jesus is assuring the lay to see in church that he loves them. His love for them would mean that he would discipline them and convict them. And this is where we really have a hard time with love. And You've had people in your life where you felt like you needed to say something to them, and uh, you knew it would be out of love, but it felt so painfully awkward, right? Amen? Nobody? We've been there. And I don't even know how to say it. Jesus doesn't have that problem. He wants to take us from our life of sin and he wants to bring us to restoration. But there's some stops along the way. The first, when we're in our life of sin, he has to expose it. He has to convict it. If we can't get past that part, we won't ever move past it. This is straight from the passage. Life of sin, exposure of the sin, conviction, and then the third one is the really hard one, the consequence for the sin. Sometimes that's not easy to say, is it? Um, And then restoration. See, after the consequence, he doesn't say, hey, see ya, good luck. Hope you like that consequence. Hope you like that discipline. No, he's the loving father that is like, now, let's do this right. Let's do this right. Let's walk together. And so Romans 2, 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. I think of Jesus saying this, and this is complete heresy for me to quote Jesus when he's done in the Bible. So don't listen to this part. But I think <laughs> this is good. Because I love you, I am here to convict you, not in order to shame you, but in order to restore you. Isn't that what he's saying? Let me say that again. Sorry, Jesus, for quoting me wrong. Because I love you, I am here to convict you, not in order to shame you, but in order to restore you. And that's what that verse, I think, means. Now let's move on to the last section.
2: Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my Father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches.
0: So the imagery for verse 20 is that Jesus uses, uh, this is probably from the Song of Solomon, which is kind of weird uh, to some of you. Others, it won't be. We don't have time to get into that. But listen to this verse, Song of Solomon 5.2. Your neck is like a tower. Just kidding. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. This is the one one the one thing that makes Christianity unique from every other religion is this statement right here. You ready for it? God is the one doing the seeking. That's it. That's the difference. Someone wants to ask you what the difference is, boil it all down to that. What are they going to say? God is seeking after us. And I love this quote. Uh, uh, Bernard Clairvaux said this, uh, Often used to say to his monks that however early they might wake and rise for prayer in their chapel on a cold winter morning, or even in the dead of night, they would always find God and wait before them, waiting for them. Nay, it was he who had awakened them to seek his face. Here is the picture of Christ searching for sinful men and women. This is it, who did not want him. Surely love can go no further than that. Man, someone put that up somewhere. The application of this verse has been often, like, again, misinterpreted for so long. Who is Jesus knocking? Like, what, what's the context of him knocking? right here. Who's he knocking on the door? Some random dude in Laodicea? What's the context? The church. It's a church door. This is not an individual's heart door. Although that context kind of works, that's not the context. The context is that Jesus is knocking on the door of the church. He says, let me in. That's your problem. I'm on the outside. I need to get on the inside. If this is going to work, so Jesus is doing that today. He's knocking on all the doors of all of our churches, and the promise we're given in this verse is for our churches letting Jesus in is that He will dine with us. There's three Greek words that are used for uh, mealtime. The first one is a breakfast kind of word, and it is literally they would take a dry piece of bread, dunk it in a in a glass of wine, and pop it in their mouth and go roof or whatever they do. Uh, you know they, that, that's what they do for lunchtime. It was a very like simple, quick meal to get back to work. The the last word is what I would call supper. Someone just really have a hard time with that. Someone have, have just really persecuted me for saying that word, but it's biblical. Um, but the, the evening meal was not a hurried meal. It wasn't a hurried meal. It lingered afterward. It was the meal that you finished. And then it just spilled over into endless conversation. You, you love those meals, don't you? That's when you get recharged. That's when you feel like, I can do anything. These people are behind me. That's the word Jesus use, uses here. It's not the dry piece of bread, dumped in wine, and popped in your mouth. And I think, uh, <laughs> wow, that's good. We <laughs> can't. A lot of times we can't do things because we won't. You know, I think we're spending time with God, like, and our churches do this too. Let's, let's get the dry piece of bread, dunk it in the wine, pop it in my mouth, and I've got to get to soccer practice. And Take the dry bread, dunk it in the wine, and i got to go do something else. How can we make this as expedient as possible, clean as possible, to where there's no mistakes, and we're pretty much like robots up here talking? I'm um, Sorry. Um, I was thinking about this at church I love worship at our church yesterday I was thinking about um, this whole thing about lingering so when you think of throne we usually think like a King George throne like with one seat an ancient eastern throne was like a couch so when Jesus says come up here and sit with me on my throne literally there would be room And as big as his throne is, there's room for every one of us. And he says, come up here and sit next to me. So let me just, I'm going to say this does not mean, I love churches of all sizes. Um, Churches of all sizes have problems of all shapes and sizes as well, because we're all imperfect. But it is, this theme for the semester is let us hear, not let us strategize. Um, We don't need a better plan. We need a better method. Amen? Here's the method. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Do what the Holy Spirit asks you to do. Does that not make fiscal sense? It probably won't. Is it going to make everybody happy? It definitely won't. That is impossible. But if we open the door to Jesus as churches... He says, I will fill you in with the rest on the way. Come on, let's go. And I'm, I'm jumping in that car. And I'm going, with Jesus, let us hear the churches who open the door will never want for more. Sarah's going to share her story um, with us tonight.
2: Okay, so, um, so my story uh, with uh, my walk with Christ and Christianity started out like many others in this room, I'm sure, um, where I grew up in a Christian household and my, t- my parents took me to church a couple times a week, and my grandpa was a pastor, and I even got baptized when I was five years old. And um, there, So there were many positive Christian influences in my life. Um, but as my identity um, as a Christian was very much an adopted concept under my family's, And so I thought, you know, well, my parents are Christians, and I go to church on Sundays, so um, that must mean that I'm a Christian. And I do believe that, as a child, I did know who Jesus was, and um, I did accept him into my life at that time, but I definitely was not living that way um, until I came to college. Um, I was living a lukewarm lifestyle, where I would talk about God on my Facebook post all the time, and I would be super fired up about Jesus on Sundays after sermons, but um, on Fridays and Saturdays, when I was in high school, I was just making very poor decisions, And I was definitely not reflecting the way that Jesus would want me to live my life. Um, So this way of living, this um, lifestyle, led me into a dating relationship that started when I was a senior in high school and um, lasted for four and a half years. Um, Yeah, it was a long time. But when we started dating, I had so many reasons as to why this guy was just the perfect one. and He was the one, you know. So, um, number one, he was in college, and so he was older than me, and he was so much more mature than all those high school boys. That was so important.
1: And um,
2: number two, he was uh, very attractive, and he worked out at the gym every day, and um, hashtag gains, and you know. But um, So, again, that was really important to me at the time. And then, um, the third thing is that he was a Christian, and so... Um, At the time, I did know that dating a Christian was important, but as you can see, the order in which I placed those things at the time, um, it was clearly not the most important thing in that relationship. And I allowed these feelings of what I would call infatuation now to um, overcome what God was really wanting for me in a relationship. And so um, God knows exactly how to make us happy if we are willing to open the doors of our hearts up to him instead of to another human. And that would have been a lot easier if I would have known that now or at that point. But um, long story short, um, after I started in college to truly give myself to Christ and um, through impacts and through um, starting going to Traders Point Christian Church and uh, really just dedicating myself and these small different steps along the way, um, I, as Andrew said earlier, I did get baptized a year and a half ago and. Um, even though it was a re-baptism, that was definitely something where I felt like I wanted to um, proclaim what Jesus is changing me on the inside to other, to other people. And um, so as I started to make my relationship with Christ a priority, um, I started to change. Um, my desires and my um, wants of what to do with my free time definitely started to align with what God would consider to be um, a Christian lifestyle. And when it came to this dating relationship... Um, I wanted to be dating somebody who I knew loved Jesus just as much as I did, and someone who could eventually lead my future family in this same hot or cold lifestyle that I was trying to pursue. And so it took a very long time, as you can see, the four and a half years, but I eventually realized that the person that I was dating was neither of these things. Um, this is a very hard transition for me, and it led me through some very painful convictions along the way. So um, I spent several weeks this past year, 2018, in this really dark place of just loneliness. And um, I tried to surround myself with other people, and I tried to um, sh- hold it all in on the inside and just hold on to that relationship that I had because I was trying to fill a void that only God could eventually fill for me. But, um, and I was comfortable in that lifestyle that I'd been living, and um, I was stagnant. And, um, again, a lukewarm lifestyle, trying to creep back up. And um, finally, I decided um, to listen to God and break off this relationship after um, several painful conversations. And eventually, him telling me just to not tell him about my loneliness anymore. And, um, yeah, so he was obviously not the leader that I was needing in my life at the time. Um, But at that same day, when I had finally given in, and I had just listened to God completely, and I had trusted him in that big moment, I felt this huge amount of relief. Um, After these many years in college of taking these small steps to finally just giving it all to God, it felt great. And those those feelings of loneliness didn't just go away overnight, which I thought that they should. But over time, the more that I turned to God instead of to another person or to other people, um, the further those feelings drifted away. So today, um, I can tell you that it's definitely not always easy living this hot or cold lifestyle for Christ. Um, But it is always the lifestyle with the greatest amount of reward. You may go through a lot of painful times in your life when you feel like you're listening to God and you're you're doing the right things. But maybe you're only hearing what you want to be hearing instead of actually listening to what he's saying. So I truly believe that if you are in a church who welcomes Jesus in its doors, and you are also welcoming Jesus into your own door, then you will never truly want for more.
0: Real quick, just to close, we um, Erica Shagley did a piece of art for us in. Uh, I have it to show you. It's on our social media. This is an amazing picture of Jesus knocking on one door, and then the picture is like all these different doors. And it is just the coolest uh, picture of this passage. Because um, he has that capacity. He knows what's happening all the way around us. So thank you for that, Eric. It was, just, it was beautiful. You'll have to check it out. Um, So this passage, just a few things coming out of it. You don't have to be rich in in fill-in-the-blank to be useful. God is not looking at you the way that you were looking at you. He's just not. And stop that. Stop it. Uh, Second thing, buy what is free to you. Jesus gave his life so that you could experience eternal life. Next. To get to restoration you have to begin in conviction. And that kind of goes, uh, don't run from what seems like it will hurt. See further to where discipline will take you. And then the last one is really where it all leads. Find a church in which Jesus is allowed. And you're like, what? It says that on the sign. <laughs> um, there's this word called nominal. And what that word means is in name only. You can talk about Jesus all you want. You can say all the right things, um, and he's actually not allowed in there. Um, and um, so let us hear that churches who open the door will never want for more. Um, so uh, we're going to close uh, with just a time of prayer for our graduates. And I'm just so proud of this group.